pray. Lord, we are so grateful to be in this place this morning. What a privilege it is for us to gather together and to worship you. You who created all things and hold it all in hand. We look to you, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Lord, as we gather in this place to worship you, we confess that there are some things that we have done and left undone. There are things that we have done knowingly and without knowing it. And we ask you just to forgive us for those things and cleanse us from anything that would keep us from worshiping you in spirit and in truth this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and all that you have done for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. By the way, thank you for the lovely gift cards. You all blessed us greatly. Somebody asked, did you get a, a wide variety of cards or did you get like one single store? We got a wide variety. We have a lot of things we need to do in Palestine now because we got a lot of cards. So thank you very much. Thank you to the band too. Thanks guys. Appreciate you very, very much. Our scripture reading this morning, we're continuing uh, in a First Peter and we're going to kind of make our way through 1 Peter over the next several weeks. We're talking about holiness. And so we are in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 and 19 through 25. Hear now the Scriptures. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to Him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For it is a credit to you if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were going astray like sheep, 
But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Forward now for our children's moment. Good morning, Jay. Hey, it may just be you and I today. That's okay. That's cool. Can I sit by you? nursery. I know some of our kids are helping out in the nursery today too. Um, okay, so you were telling me just a little bit ago, um, we were talking about the scripture talks about when life is sometimes hard or sometimes unfair. Can you think of a time that life is sometimes hard or sometimes unfair? Like when I was at the ranger game yesterday, uh, there was like a playground that I'd never seen before, but my mom said I'm too old for it. But I saw like eight-year-olds and stuff over there. Yeah, sometimes that can seem like life is unfair, right? <laughs> um, sometimes life is tough, and we don't always get to know the reasons why, and we don't always get to know um, what's happening. But did you know that our scripture today kind of talks about that? It talks about how even if life doesn't always make sense to us, that we can endure. Do you know what it means to endure? No. no. Okay, so to endure means that we can withstand it even when times are tough, that we can take it, right? Um, so that we can stand up under it even when life is hard. And so in today's children's folders, you know, we get these cool children's folders every day. We have this really awesome cross that Miss Katie put in there. Katie's my intern this summer. And she put this fun cross in there. And it's not just a cross, it's a necklace. Why do you think we'd want it on a necklace? Because it's, you can walk around and show everybody that you love Jesus. That's exactly why. So we can that remember that Jesus is with us everywhere we go. And we can show people that by our actions that we love Jesus. That's exactly right. Thank you, Jay. Would you pray with me this morning? All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us, even when life is hard or sometimes doesn't make sense. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jay. Let's pray. Lord, may your word be proclaimed through me or perhaps in spite of me. Amen. Armchair faith, that's what we call that. Armchair faith, right? This is the thing that John Wesley was most concerned about when he uh, thought that maybe some people were putting all their eggs in the basket of coming to faith in Jesus Christ because he knew that the temptation would be, once you had secured your spot in heaven, would be to sit down in your armchair and live out the rest of your life in comfort and ease as she said, to let the professionals handle the rest. We've got church people who are paid to do that kind of thing. So that's not me. John Wesley said, no, living as a holy people requires action, requires movement. It requires that we get up out of those comfortable armchairs and roll up our sleeves and do the hard work of the kingdom. This is what it looks like to be a holy people. We're talking about what does it look like to be a people who have been set apart for God's good purposes, both in works of personal devotion and in works of outward love to others? You know, I 
really, really enjoyed my time in seminary. I went to Perkins uh, up in Dallas, SMU, and I had an Old Testament professor. I loved him, loved him. He had a way of opening the scriptures and showing you new things that you uh, never saw before. One of the things that he said was that if you really, really want to dig into the heart of scripture, look at the verbs. Look at the verbs. The action words tell you what is expected of you. And as I was reading through the second chapter that Peter had written to what we think was probably new believers living in Roman towns being persecuted for their faith, I begin to see verbs like rid or leave behind, crave, Draw near, endure, live. These are action words, verbs, but they're not very easy to, uh, uh, to define or measure. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid growing up in church, we had a list of do's and don'ts, things that were expected of us. Uh, my list looked like this. You don't drink. You don't gamble. You don't cuss, you don't have premarital sex, and as I talked about last week, you don't listen to secular music, right? You throw all that stuff in the trash, right? I had, but when I went to college, I had female friends. Their list were a little bit different. Female friends who could not wear pants or makeup. They were from a different tradition. I had other friends who couldn't have caffeine or watch R-rated movies. These were the lists that our traditions uh, kind of, had in place for us if we were going to live as holy people. But the problem with these is that they were just kind of reduced down to a basic list of don'ts, essentially. There's not, not very many do's in there. It's a lot of don'ts. But a basic list of don'ts that are very easy to spot if somebody is not conforming. I mean, think about it. If you catch me in the grocery store buying a Frosty six-pack, I'm not living a holy life, right? If, if one of my friends who's not supposed to wear pants walks into a place wearing pants, she's not living a holy life. It's obvious because we can see on the surface whether you're doing the things or not. But Peter, Peter is not giving us an easy list of verbs here like this. The, Peter, the things that Peter talking, is talking about here uh, require inward investigation. They require practice. They are things that you cannot see so readily on the outside as you look at someone. There's a lot of verbs in here that I mentioned. Rid, crave, draw near, endure, live. I don't have time to go over all of these today, but there were two that kind of jumped out to me immediately, and I thought maybe we could take the time today to look at these two verbs and maybe explore them a little bit more as we think about what does it mean to live as someone who has been set apart for God's good purposes. The first one is found right in verse 1. Rid yourselves of all malice, guile, insincerity, Envy and slander. Another translation says it this way. Lay aside all evil, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and backbiting. So rid, lay aside, 
cast off, throw away. The word actually uh, has the connotation of clothing that needs to be thrown away because it's just worn out. It's no longer useful, right? When Peter wrote this, the, that's what the verb actually means. And I think about how Elena teases me because I have certain articles of clothing. I won't mention which ones, but I have certain articles of clothing that, that are holy. And I don't mean set apart. They're holy in the other way. And she says, why are you keeping these? Why don't you get rid of them? And I go, I don't know why. Just because I'm a creature of habit. But Peter says, these things that he's listing are kind of like that. They're like these pieces of clothing that are just no longer useful for you. They're not doing what they're intended. Throw them away. Donate them to the trash. Now, don't forget that Peter has already told us last week that holy living begins begins with a deep and abiding love for one another. And so he's carrying on this thought because things like evil, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, backbiting, these are love blockers. These are things that keep you from loving your neighbor as yourself, right? They are contrary to this primary and basic command to love each other with a deep and abiding love. And I think that Peter wants us to know that you have no hope to be a light for Jesus in the world if you can't learn how to love one another. If you're acting maliciously toward your brother or sister in Christ, if you are deceiving them intentionally, if you're envious of something that they have, if you talk poorly behind their back, you have no hope for being a light for Jesus in the world. But as I said before, these things are not easy to measure. I mean, how do I know if you're holding a grudge against me? How do you know if I'm not a hypocrite and I expect things of you that I don't expect of myself? How can we tell if someone in this place is jealous of another person? These things are not easy to see on the surface. Maybe after some time, we would begin to pick up something's not right here. But these are not surface things. You see, Peter is not concerned with outward actions of conformity that can easily be faked or that gain applause. Kudos for you. You have not gone to the grocery store to buy that six-pack. See, Peter is very concerned here with Real heart change, right? Deep heart change. The kind that only God knows about because God knows the heart. Do you love your church family? Are there things standing in the way keeping you from loving them the same way that you are loved? I can't answer that for you. Only you and God know. But I do believe that if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest with God, that yeah, there are some things, there are some people in this place that maybe I don't love quite as well as I should. But the Spirit is faithful and will begin to remove some of these love blockers. So rid, rid yourselves of things that keep you from loving others as you have been loved. The second verb that I wanted to look at 
is found in verses 19 through 20. It says, it is a credit to you, or it's actually a bad translation. It should say grace surrounds you. Grace surrounds you of being aware of God. You endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval or God's grace. The verb here is endure. Endure. To stay the course, to remain firm, to hold fast to something. You see, when you are suffering, whether from persecution or illness or from circumstances outside of your control, Peter says, remain firm in your set-apartedness despite your circumstances. Don't swerve to the left or to the right. That's another hard one. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it doesn't take much for me to lose my, uh, my Jesus right? A small headache, really. I can't stand headaches. I start to get cranky. I start to lose my temper a little bit. I forget that I represent Christ when I am in pain or when I am suffering or when I am going through things. And I think Peter understood this to be a human problem because he says, look to Jesus when you're in that moment. Jesus has given you an example. I love the word he uses there. Example literally means to take a, a, a piece of paper and lay it over something and trace a copy of it, right? So it's almost like Jesus has laid down and we lay our lives upon him and trace out the outline of Jesus upon our own lives. He says, when you are suffering, look to Jesus because Jesus has been there. And Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, he says, committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. This is important. When he was abused, did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Now, see, that's not me. When I'm suffering, I want other people to suffer too. I want them to know I'm suffering. Right? I want, I want to get some sympathy. But Jesus refuses to do that. Jesus refuses to return pain for pain, abuse for abuse. He refuses to breathe threats against those who are causing his suffering. And instead what he does is he entrusts, another verb that I didn't see, entrusts himself to God the good judge. That God is going to make everything right in the end. I hope you're starting to get the sense that this is tough stuff, right? There's a reason that we like to make nice little trite lists of do's and don'ts because it's easy. This is tough stuff. This is neither armchair faith nor the surfacey show of faith that maybe some of you have experienced this is striving for the deep kind of faith that most people will never know that you are reconciling within yourself. Most people will not look at you and know whether you're doing it right or not. But God knows. The one who has set you apart and called you holy knows. And Peter says, as you wrestle with this tough stuff, Grace is surrounding you. Grace is flowing in you and through you. 
giving you the strength that you need to be the person that God has called you to be. So like I said, I didn't have time to go through the five verbs, but of these two, I see two actions branching out from the fundamental command to love. Peter has already given us this command to love one another. Two actions branching out from that. Number one, to flee. The verb flee, rid. Flee anything which keeps you from loving each other. The second, to continue to love like Jesus, even in the midst of your suffering, especially when other people are the cause of that suffering. Will we strive to be these people? That's the question. Will we strive to be different in a world that doesn't look so much like this? I came across a a hymn. You guys know this, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. You guys heard this before? This really says what I wanted to say so much better. Let's sing this together. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love the way you love. And do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God. Until my heart is pure, until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die. But live with you the perfect life for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we take up the challenge today. We hear the call that you have called us holy, that you have set us apart for your good purposes, chiefly to bless the world, to be a blessing unto the world. And yet, that calling requires that we live different lives, that we look different. And we recognize the temptation to uh, create a short list of easy things to do or not do, whether we are following the list or not, but we know that the calling requires much more than that. Help us, Lord, as we strive to be a people called holy, help us to live as those who are filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, those who go out into the world and share the love of Jesus as we love each other. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to go to God in prayer now. We're going to lift up those uh, concerns that we have, the people that are on our hearts on our minds, these prayer requests that I love that we do this, Emily, that we we pray for them on Sunday morning and then also on Tuesday and also on Thursday. So you know that they're getting prayed for throughout the week, which is fabulous.
Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful to have heard from you today. As we opened the scriptures, as we talked about what they might mean for us today, we believe that you are in this place and that you are speaking to us right now. Lord, as a response, we want to give to you our burdens, our cares, our concerns, those things that you ask us to bring to you. As a loving Father, you want to know the things that are keeping us from living a life of peace. And so we come to you right now. We lift up uh, Ron Bradley's uncle, who is turning 99 and is set to have kidney surgery tomorrow. Lord, we pray for him in that situation as the surgeons go in that he would respond well to that surgery. We lift up Regina Finch as she continues to struggle with allergies. We know how devastating allergies can be at any given time of the year. We pray that she would have relief. We pray for Lee Smith. She has a pinched nerve in her neck and may even have to have some kind of a procedure to relieve that. We pray for her. We lift up Beth Corson, who continues to heal from her fall last week. The damage that was done to her face, her eye, and her nose, and her cheekbone. We thank you for the healing that has occurred, and we pray for continued healing. Lord, we lift up the sweet Larson family. We are so thankful that the uh, embryo transplant was successful, uh, no complications. Now, as we wait to... Uh, see how everything has turned out. We pray for comfort for them, uh, peace for them. We pray for a good outcome. We want another Larson baby. We lift up Angela Brooks. Lord, she has been diagnosed with brain cancer. We pray for healing in that situation, Lord, that the medicines, that the, whatever the treatment might be for her that is best for her, that it would eradicate that cancer. We pray for an eradication of cancer as a whole, Lord. This is something that all of us, if we haven't dealt with it personally, we know somebody who has. We have lost loved ones to all types of cancer. We pray for a cure for cancer, Lord. We pray for John Martin, who is in hospice after a stroke. We lift him up to you, Lord. Surround his family with love and peace. That the hospice uh, personnel would just be filled with compassion and empathy for him. We continue to pray for John Hafner, who is recovering from his stroke. We just pray that um, the rehab that he's undergoing, the nursing staff, most of all, we pray that our prayers would just do a great healing 
for him because of you. And finally, we lift up David Tyler, who is in the hospital with cancer. I don't know what type of cancer, but you do. We thank you for modern medicine and all its wonders, but we know that you are the one who engineers all healing, that you are the one who gives good gifts, that you created it all and that you hold it all together by your love. And so, Lord, we lift these to you. These are our deepest concerns. These are our cares. We ask you to take them from us, take our worries, give us your peace, that we might go out into the world and live as your faithful children. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay. I think what we've got now is, oh, that's it. We're going to do the benediction. It's already over. It's already over. Will you stand? Hold the hand of the person next to you. The band's going to play us out after this benediction. Uh, but receive this blessing, please. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved. You are completely forgiven. and You are uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do, may you know that there is nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. There's nothing that you can do that would make God love you any more. Because amen, God's love is not based on your performance. Amen. That's called grace. God's love is based on amazing grace. And it is by grace that he says, Beloved, I know everything there is to know about you. And I still think you are the best of the best of the best. You're worth dying for. And if you could just leave here today believing that, I think everything would be different tomorrow. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen.